0: Okay, are we we ready now? Yeah. I think those are the terms that's being thought in. I'm guessing we're going to do a little Corona in the beginning.
1: We certainly can, and we can do it here on uh, episode 144 of Tell Me Where to Turn, an episode that we're really looking forward to, uh, an event and a documentary that um, we've referenced Numerous times over the last couple years, but we'll talk about everything in full here shortly. Uh, of course, you can always find me on Twitter at Glenn three underscore eleven,
0: and you can find me at Tommy two underscore zero,
1: and you can find
0: me at Point Break underscore Dave,
1: and then the show Twitter is at Where to Turn Pod. So, first off, weekly weekly COVID nineteen update. How's uh? How's the Corona world treating you guys? Things are going
0: well. Pretty, uh, pretty good round yesterday.
1: Ah, oh, jeez.
0: I I made a really bad decision on number nine with a three uh, a three wood. I should have laid up, and I tried to go for it, and found the water. But other than that,
1: treating me well. You really—that's your struggle. Other people are begging and doing elaborate things for a piece of bread. You're like, yeah, really should've hit five iron there.
0: Well, I mean, really probably should have just punched out with like a seven, honestly. I mean, that was the play. Trying well, you, to carry trying to carry that water was a mistake.
1: You were out of the fairway?
0: No, I was under a tree up on a hill and I would have had to carry it about two twenty to get over the water. That's yeah, not that is not smart. That's just that's just that's just poor golf. That's just probably, poor strategy.
1: Probably not even a straight on shot. You probably had to get a little curve to it, a little draw. Yeah, I was
0: trying to bend it around a tree. Yeah, that the whole thing was very ill-conceived.
1: Yeah, that, that's a that's the kind of thing that I do. <laughs> you don't you don't need to follow that.
0: Oh, can I tell you? I'm a positive person. There's a <laughs> silver there's a silver lining in everything. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago, before any of us even knew the term COVID nineteen or social distancing? When we were sitting there looking at the Renegades record in the XFL, trying to figure out how in the world I was going to win my bet, how I did not torch all that money on over seven wins or over six wins. I'll tell you how. Worldwide pandemic cancels the season. (laughs) That's how you don't lose that bet. I feel like you should have won the bet. I'm sure they called it off, but I, I would be like, hey, that's technically under six.
1: No, I had over. No, he had the over.
0: Oh, never mind. Cancel it. Yeah. I had the over as the Renegades wins were going in the direct opposite way of the Corona death toll. <laughs> the Renegades <laughs> hadn't gotten around to flattening the curve yet. <laughs> no.
1: No, that or even or scoring touchdowns either.
0: <laughs> so I'll give you I'll give you some insight from inside the healthcare community. Dave, your camera looks amazing, by the way. I don't know what's going on. You look like Hollywood lighting in there. Well, oh, I got the uh the normal I'm not using the uh laptop webcam. I'm using the, the full on HD camera because 'cause I've been video conferencing.
1: Oh, is that what you call it? <laughs> How much how much is the subscription is it hourly or
0: is there anything that's off
1: limits that's just what
0: I want to know <laughs> Let's get let's get the update, update Does everything
1: have to have batteries
0: <laughs> By the way I'm worried about Tommy his, he looks very disheveled his hair I, that it's, is the... it's half Bernie Sanders right now
1: Those are the terms just about everyone is using right now
0: well if you guys like me are following the athlean x bodyweight workout you would (laughs) know that today is a rest day which means i just got up as late as possible this morning did not work out it was a rest day so i have not showered so there you go aren't you supposed to be like saving the world right now in your job capacity like what are you doing yeah, no. I mean, I I say late as possible, meaning I got up at like seven fifteen and started working immediately. It wasn't wasn't like I slept until eleven thirty five or something. I just didn't get around to showering yet, guys. Honestly, were the were the neighbors lined up in the street cheering you on with signs? Go, Tommy! Hey, what, We can deviate to the neighbors real quick. the The sun finally came out yesterday. We've been in the, in just a, a run of gloomy, rainy days. Oh, I I thought you were. Making a proclamation about your offspring <laughs> and a <the> life <laughs> choice. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> a lot of ways you could go there, but the young can be, age. Yeah, be like that. Could be like episode three forty-four. <laughs> we we went out for the family walk last night in the sun. It was like something out of a dystopian movie. Just people. Everywhere just shuffling down the sidewalk that I've never seen before in my life, all keeping their distance from each other, nobody really necessarily engaging other than maybe a, a nod or a smile because you can't get too close. Just walking in little circles all around all the streets, snaking in and out of our neighborhood. It was the strangest thing. Like if I'd have just walked outside and that was just a normal Thursday afternoon, I would have I would have been like, okay, what happened? Something's off. It just everything just felt really weird out there. Are you guys noticing the same phenomenons in your neighborhood?
1: Yeah, I am for sure. As far as families and individuals and the like getting out and walking the neighborhood and going on jogs, things like that. If you, you know, I work here from home and it's right towards the front of the house in front of a a large window. So if there had to be a uh, like neighborhood yoga pant lineup that had to identify someone, I'm pretty sure that I could after two weeks. It's just a sidebar, but yeah, I'm seeing the same the same phenomenon. Uh somebody was putting up I don't know what it was. It was almost not a it was almost like a miniature zip line thing for their kids yesterday in their yard, like attaching it between tree to tree. Just so desperate, I guess, for things to do.
0: People have rediscovered the outdoors. They have. It's true. And rediscovered you- their marriages. Is there a lot of, uh, a lot of dating your wife going on? I've actually heard there's they're very concerned about a spike in domestic violence, which makes sense. <laughs>
1: huh.
0: Package that.
1: That's going to segue nicely later. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's going to be a surge in divest, domestic violence uh, that, I don't know, say December of this year, January of next year, going to result in some new additions
0: yes i think i think the uh we should probably go ahead and get the D department stocked up now the social media phenomenon that i'm seeing that's that's one of the things i'm working on at work everybody's so desperate to help and so desperate to insert themselves into a cause i can't tell you how many i mean how often have you guys seen this on facebook or twitter where it's the group of women or the group of you know some other industry that's now decided, hey, we're going to all get together and use whatever, you know, manufacturing capabilities we have to to sew surgical masks or so we're going to make you know, we're going to go to Home Depot and buy stuff and build protective shields for hospital workers. It's a nice social media story. It is the literally the worst thing you can do for a hospital. We are wasting so much time telling people to stop bringing homemade crap to the hospital <laughs> that we can't use but having to do it in a nice way cuz you don't want to you know you don't want to discourage people's spirit of kindred mankind kumbaya whatever it's going on it's not it's not helpful it's wasting time in fact we've now created a special website where you fill out a form that literally goes to me <laughs> Oh, what how, what is the url <laughs> yeah it's and filling it's, that out <laughs> hey let us know what you have to donate and then i get the email and then very graciously write back i'm sorry we can't take that <laughs> we are fully stocked on rfpd <laughs> yes so if you want to do something good this is a public service announcement donate blood please don't well, donate you're... homemade masks donate blood here's the thing and I, I don't know if we touched on this last episode but when people are scared, they don't know what to do, but they feel like they have to do something. Exactly. That's why. You, that's why you get the overbuying toilet paper, which doesn't make any sense. Right. You get all this stuff, and then yeah, you have homemade masks to hospitals and Meat Lovers Pizzas to DFW. Like people just <laughs> they want they want to project that they're helping, but they don't have anything any real way to help that matters. <laughs> Exactly. And, and and much of and much of everything that's going wrong right now is all based on that sentiment because it's the same things happen in the stock market. People panic sell, panic, do all these decisions because they feel like they have to be involved when nine times out of 10, the Glenn philosophy of life, which is just kind of take your hands off the wheel <laughs> and just let it happen is, is going to be the optimal path forward.
1: Yeah. The pizzas to the airport kind of backfired now that no one from any country can get into the U.S. now. It's really uh, taken a unfortunate turn. But I've been told the best thing I can do is just to stay at home and do nothing. And those happen to be two of my greatest strengths. So I am contributing significantly to this cause. Because uh, there's a daily run or walk around the neighborhood. And then just kind of play with the kids in the yard. But other than that, it's... Workday or uh, I'm in here I've done enough push-ups and planks through the week to Stone a mastodon and I think I'm actually getting healthier the, the longer corona stays around because I'm, I'm eating better and we're not getting fast food and uh, We don't have I don't have any beer or booze in the house So unless I go out to get it. I'm avoiding that so Things are going nice.
0: So if you're are you are you on that end of the of the spectrum where you're avoiding going out to get things like beer?
1: So far, yeah.
0: I mean because I mean I went straight to the liquor store as soon as I ran out of beer. So I'm just curious where you fall on that.
1: I'm not like afraid to do it, but I'm also just I don't know. I, I think I'm gonna hold out until probably hold out another week. Because I think I'm going to need a case or a bottle of something to uh, get through two nights of res- panic WrestleMania. <laughs> have,
0: the, you uh, heard, have you heard the latest rumor of who's going to step in and fight on behalf of leukemia?
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Hulk Hogan? No. Let's just say that we're all
0: men and there may be a monster among us. Oh, no. It's going to be a terrible match. That's where they're going with it.
1: Hmm. Okay. As we... And we're full WrestleMania preview next week, but as we talked amongst ourselves this morning, and my biggest contribution was the best expectation is to have absolutely zero expectation for this year's Mania, I think, is the way to go. I
0: agree. I've got got my expectations for the Boneyard match are off the charts, so... (laughs) I may be the outlier here.
1: No, I, You said they produced that one almost like it's a like a movie or a film or something. I think that's what i Yeah, that's what I've read. I'm intrigued, but we'll yeah. Well, that's that's for next week. Full what breakdown. If
0: they, what if they incorporated actual movie type special effects? Like, say, AJ Styles at some point like shoots the Undertaker, clips him. There's a. A skeleton comes out of the graveyard dressed like Owen Hart and attacks him.
1: Drops down. <laughs> hey, if it's no disqualifications, can't rule anything out.
0: I, I think it would be irresponsible to think anything otherwise. So do we need to get to... The, the thing we have referenced so much, I'm surprised they didn't have us on there being interviewed. <laughs> Oh, I fully expected Glenn to be in one of those scenes. They cut from Chris Jericho and Vicky Guerrero to to Glenn.
1: Just doing lat pulls, just kind of turn around like I'm surprised. Like, oh, thanks thanks for stopping by. Got a story for you. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the uh, Vice. I guess, would you say documentary? Just part of the Dark Side of the Ring series.
0: The premiere of Dark Side of the Ring Season 2, which if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. Season 1 was good. I think Season 1 got better as it went along because I think they got better at their production value. I I got the sense it's a fairly low-rent production, or at least it started out such. The Season 2, just overall, the the (laughs) Chris Benoit, I felt like... Production-wise, flow-wise, seemed a lot a lot more professional than what they had pulled, rolled out in season one. Victory. Vice is Vice Land, I believe, is the TV network they're on, and then uh, they come onto YouTube. I think a week after they premiere on Vice Land, so if you don't have access to that channel, you can find the complete episodes on YouTube on the Vice Land um, YouTube channel.
1: And I would recommend this not just the Crispin Benoit. Wall- two-part episode that aired this week but any of them season one or season two even if you're not a wrestling fan like it's just it's a good story it's good material oh, yeah. it's intriguing stuff they're not just they're not you know just picking a raw from 1997 and talking through it like we we are you know this is this is uh you know intriguing uh storylines and you know and this one you know ended up in a murder-suicide so yeah and and they're doing Owen Hart later this season. Really,
0: they are. And wow. I will say the if you're going to start with one and you're not a wrestling fan, like the uh, killing of Bruiser Brody was a story I was I'd heard but wasn't familiar with. That one was phenomenal. Yeah, I think that's the best one they've done in season one. I would echo Dave's thought there. It, the, great one to start with. Crazy story, and one I wasn't very familiar with either. In the throwback footage that they're able to cobble together for that, just makes me wonder what in the world we were doing as a human society back then.
1: <laughs> and for the WCW fans, there was one on the Von Erichs, which hits hits close to home.
0: Oh, so close to home. Oh, yes. In the sportatorium.
1: So, Chris Benoit. So, and they... You know, they. I thought they did a good job the way they approached this. Um, it kind of started at the end and more or less kind of told you what was going to happen, how this ends up, and then resets all the way back to, to day one. So as they started out, I believe one of the first scenes is kind of the kind of the flyover of the property that you see several times with a nine one one call in the background. Of uh, nice,
0: nice place, by the way. Very really? a lot He's of land back there. I could see myself of, I could see myself living in a place like that.
1: He had a little bit of money.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm betting it was probably pretty cheap once it became available. <laughs> I think that some of the stuff that happened there has to go on the seller's disclosure. I'm, yeah, I think that gets disclosed.
1: Mistaken. Would that okay, so that's a good hypothetical. Let's just say you individually and randomly just move to that area and stumble upon this house and property on the market, and they disclose you you have some interest, and they disclose you need to know this is where the Benoit family tragedy occurred. Do you hesitate, or are you sprinting <laughs> to the title company to close on it?
0: Do they leave the home gym?
1: Uh, I, there's, I think you have the outline of you have Benoit's outline in there. You don't have You have to put your own equipment. Oh goodness!
0: Yeah, but they. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the way they they told the story um, was good because they started with you knew you knew where you were getting to, but then they went all the way back. And I'm interested from Glenn because I believe all of this was pre your. Um, fandom into wrestling were you familiar with Benoit or Guerrero or you seen much of them
1: Um, when it all occurred as far as him killing his wife and his son and himself and that story breaking I had heard of the name but that was essentially it there's no way I would have been able to match a face to the name and I probably back then Chris Benoit Chris Jericho I may have thought that those were essentially the same person uh, but I knew, hey, that's a wrestler. That's a popular wrestler. That was the extent of my of my knowledge of it back then. But they they start this off going back through his whole career, and he never had any other job, profession, or anything other than wrestling. He yeah. as as a kid was it Kid Dynamite? Was that the the well, guy that he uh, idolized?
0: Yeah, Dynamite Kid. was. Dynamite Kid. Okay. Yeah, and kid, that was Kid Dynamite interesting... was from Punch Out, I believe, but. <laughs>
1: That's when I they, think it was Mike Tyson's original nickname.
0: Yeah, when they rebranded it after the allegations, they changed Mike Tyson to Kid Dynamite in the later releases of that game.
1: Oh. Was it well. Kid
0: Dynamite? Or, no, no, it was Mr. Dream in Punch-Out. That's what they changed his name to. Okay. I take that back. Um, no, but that was an interesting note when they were talking about um, that he idolized... The Dynamite Kid and Dynamite Kid did the flying headbutt. And then, you know, before Dynamite Kid was Harley Race, who did the flying headbutt. And both of them, like, would tell the next generation, like, don't do it. And then there was always someone that was like, no, nah, that's my finish. That's what I'm going to do. No, I mean, the Dynamite Kids, you know, historically ended up with horrific health problems because of wrestling. Yeah. And, and what What's, a terrible move too, by yeah, the way. I mean logi- logically <laughs> makes no sense. Like you're on the top rope. Well, I could I could drop an elbow like the macho man, I could do a splash, or I could ram my head into their shoulder. <laughs> what a yeah, what a waste of a high impact maneuver. He should have watched more ricochet matches. That's that that would have probably saved his life.
1: Like Yeah, these these days they only last about forty five yeah. seconds. He would have been just a he been, bastion of health.
0: He would have been teaming with uh, Cedric Alexander and doing the job in front of an empty arena on Raw.
1: In front of a bunch of Monday Night Raw banners.
0: <laughs> we watched... Um, I remember watching Chris Benoit growing up, though, in the you know mid-'90s WCW and loving his matches at the time because he was so high-energy and aggressive. And not high-energy in that he was flying all over the place, but just intensity wise and man you want to talk about somebody could throw a chop boy that looked like it hurt that Dude. man could throw a chop and what was stiff man he would he would lay in everything yeah never very good on the mic though that, I think no. that was always the always the concern with him is w- was he be able to get to a point because he really was not a, a talker or personality guy at all his whole persona was wrapped around his in-ring intensity yeah And we need to get to this real quick. One of the weirder bodies of anyone. Like, he has the shortest
1: arms. How tall was he?
0: I think they said 5'10 in the documentary, which sounds about right. All right. Yeah, the giant neck, though. The circumference of his neck in relation to the rest of his body and head size was very strange to me. Tiny, short little arms and then like a huge chest. But we come to find out later on in the documentary he had essentially just been on steroids since he was 18 yeah when they when they said when he the toxicology came back he had like 20 times to- or 10 times the testosterone of a normal person in his body
1: yeah it was it was ridiculous he like but,
0: doing a blood test on glenn just now uh, <laughs> <laughs> so much tea
1: yeah just so much But uh, great footage that they went back to uh, showing some of the highlights from his days in Stampede wrestling (laughs) and then New Japan, which that was uh, when he first met Eddie Guerrero, right? Yeah. And And wrestled with him a lot. The clips
0: from those matches, which, you know, if you keep in mind, those are, you know, getting close to being 30-year-old clips. They looked like matches of today, and that was not the style of wrestling back then. But when you watch it, you go, wow, this was so different than what WWE was doing at the time, which was... You know, very low impact, you know, corn more, much more corny looking wrestling. And then they're over in Japan just having these just haymaker matches where they're just beating the crap out of each other every night. Um, fascinating to, to think about how old that footage was and how it still really stands up today. And they kind of get into at that point talking about how good and how skilled both Benoit and Eddie Guerrero were, but... Like uh, Tommy was saying, the WWE back then, if you weren't six-two and taller and two hundred and forty pounds, then you know Vince didn't give you a look. And you know Benoit was five ten, Guerrero was billed at five eight, so they were, you know, these great wrestlers. But they were in Japan, and then they went to ECW and WCW, and they were just trying to find a place where they're size wouldn't be such a a hindrance to their career
1: yeah did unfortunately i don't think eddie guerrero had any type of a good look until it was almost too late like in japan he's wearing that mask and he's got the terrible mullet and then he's got the must like the long mustache but the gap in in the middle whatever look that is whatever that's (laughs) called
0: You know, something that you're going to laugh about that you probably have no familiarity to that he did while, like, towards the end of his run in WCW was, you know, they had the NWO. Yeah. The New World Order. He he started a faction that I believe was him and Rey Mysterio and some other people called
1: the LWO.
0: The Latino World Order.
1: (laughs) Didn't go over big.
0: Didn't get over.
1: Hmm. That's a tough one. But he and Eddie were essentially that was by far it was his best friend.
0: Yeah. I mean I and I, I can see that. You know, if you think about and they 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 talked about in the documentary just how much time you spend with those people and traveling and time in the car. So they're race, they're wrestling. They're getting in a car, driving together two or three, four hours, staying in a hotel, wrestling, doing the same thing night after night after night. And they be yeah, they became very close, you know, one from their history coming up together and then two, the amount of time they spent together where they were they were almost inseparable. And every big career move they made, they did together. You know, they went to Japan together. They left Japan and went to WCW together and then ultimately left WCW and went to WWE together, which is crazy to think. Um, there's not a lot of people you could say that about that, that weren't a tag team that were so closely linked throughout every stop along the way in their career. And, uh, Benoit quick, uh, <laughs> note before we get, or want to try to get back to chronological here, but in their days in Japan, I think it was Japan or it may have been ECW. He started wrestling with Chris Jericho and one of Jericho's first memories was them was they were having a match, you know, non-televised house show, quote unquote, not important at all. And Benoit missed where he was supposed to be for one of Jericho's kicks and felt like he didn't take it right. And then they go to the, the locker room and Benoit's in there doing 500 Hindu squats. And Jericho's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I messed up that kick. I have to do this now." And he's like, "No one cares. It wasn't televised. Like, right. no one knew." He's like, "No, I have to do this because I messed up." That's Damn. the kind of performer he was. So, yeah, would was, our podcast be better if we instituted rules like that?
1: Uh, We'd have we some
0: huge quads. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: would be the opposite of the meme. You see the guy with all the upper body build, and he's got chicken legs. Would be the exact opposite. If every mistake necessitated 500 squats. (laughs) Unbelievable.
0: So he... uh, Benoit finally gets to WCW, which is the biggest promotion he's been in. And at the time, Kevin Sullivan was... He was essentially a player coach. He was one of the top talent, but he was also the booker that was deciding all the creative storylines. So... And if you he, want to go down another rabbit hole, Glenn, check out Kevin Sullivan's work around that time period with the Dungeon of Doom, which was essentially a sat- satanic uh, angle that they ran with, with some of the worst acting and some of the most <laughs> out of shape wrestlers you'll ever see. Yeah,
1: it looked pretty wheels off that the, they weren't willing to go all out on the Satan side of it to put like the upside down cross on his head. They just put like an X, which. I was like, that is a, that's just a letter. Like, That's not really saying anything.
0: <laughs> but he, at the time, uh, he being Kevin Sullivan, pronouns pal. Pronouns pal. Was married to, I'm trying to remember her maiden name, Nancy Benoit was her final yeah. name, if you will. But <laughs> she was under the, at that time, she was. That's was fair. She, what? Was she woman at that time, or was she still Fallen well, Angel? They said Fallen, fallen angel, angel, and then she became woman in WCW. But she was married to Kevin Sullivan. And well, first she was married to another guy, and then he stole her from that guy at a wrestling match, which is amazing. <laughs> and then Kevin Sullivan, in his creative booking, decides he wants to be in a program with Benoit, and the creative is going to be... That Benoit steals a woman in storyline. And then, what do you know, a little bit down the road, woman art, is art
1: leave, reflecting life.
0: Yeah, leaving Kevin Sullivan for Benoit. And I believe the joke was saying Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce, <laughs> which is <laughs>
1: hilarious.
0: So, going back and looking at those videos from the time, she was much more attractive than I remember. That was my takeaway. Because I remember at the time never being, thinking that she was that stunning of a person, but she was alright. Nothing wrong with that. So what happened to her sister?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, she got to live for the last 13 years. That's one.
0: Do you think that Chris Benoit, if he had it to do over again, might have chosen the wrong sister? (laughs) Man. Goodness. Um, yeah, so I no was personal. gonna say,
1: so he had success. Um, WCW, he had at least one or two championships there, though. I mean, they he weren't spent keeping the majority
0: him. of his time around the mid card, and then right as he was leaving, he actually left WCW as the world champion when he went to WWE. Yeah, so he he had late in his career started to get more top of the card booking, but he was a solid, you know, there intercontinental championship at the time was the United States championship. And he was always in the mix for that. And he, and he typically was winning on TV for the most, most of his time there, especially, especially the latter part.
1: And when he, when he and Guerrero left to come to WWE, they did the, uh, out of nowhere, they just walked down during a match on an episode of raw.
0: Yes, they did. There's those two other guys that went with him. Dean Malenko, who you saw there Parkinson's and all, he looks and terrible. He's still working. <laughs> he's working for AEW now. And uh, Perry Saturn, who, um, again, may be with Chris Benoit right now, forming a tag team somewhere.
1: But... The hell WO. The
0: <laughs> Stampede Wrestling of Hell. Um, By the way, I... Just a quick aside on Perry Saturn. I got in a YouTube vortex after this. Have either of you watched and I've watched it too many times, the Perry Saturn-Mike Bell match in WWF. Is that when he just beats the guy up for real? Yeah. Yes, yes Mike, I've seen this. Mike Bell is a what they call an enhancement talent, which means he's a huge jobber and is just there to let someone squash him. But this guy missed two moves early in the match, and Saturn just goes nuts and just like a shoot fight just starts beating him up pretty good video to watch, but quick aside when they were leaving WCW to go to WWF. And this wasn't mentioned in the dark side of the ring, but the something to wrestle with podcast on the radicals, which is what the, that group of four was known as, um, talks a lot about it when they were, those four were talking to WWF about making the jump both or all three, Eddie Guerrero, um, Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko all told Bruce Pichard like, hey, if there's not a spot for all of us, at least take Chris Benoit because they knew since he had essentially taken the wife of Kevin Sullivan that there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, he was always going to have a limit on what he could earn and what he could do in WCW because the guy making the creative decisions hated him essentially.
1: Right. Well, that and it seemed like universally, he, Chris Benoit was pretty much beloved by everyone that worked with him, and then it was around him. They, they said he was intense, and he was one of the most professional guys, you know, in the, in the ring. Obviously, he makes one mistake, and he's doing a thousand squats. But also, that once he got out of the ring, he was just good dude and right. great father. Supposedly, real intense when he's performing, but just kind of a chill guy outside of it, which is weird because he's on steroids literally his entire adult life. Yeah, But, you know, I'm sure there's some level of tolerance you just build up to that, but the fact that there's not like one story, you know, we'll get to this a little later on where the downfall kind of begins, but there's not one story in this thing from the 80s, 90s, or early 2000s of... Yeah, you know, it was all normal, except for that one time like in Memphis where he just freaked out and just ripped the locker room apart and, you know, just slammed somebody into a wall for no reason. Like, there's nothing like that.
0: Yeah. No, there's no no stories like that at all. And, um, yeah, we'll come back to that. Uh, the other thing I thought was well done in this that, I mean, I knew they were friends, that they were always kind of together in their work. But, I mean, him and Eddie Guerrero were – they were best friends, tight as anyone could be. Yeah, they spent a great deal of time really shifting the whole focus of the documentary to Eddie, which I was which I'm glad they did because I think it really does lay the groundwork for, you know, why, you know, Eddie's ultimate passing was so devastating to Benoit. But yeah, they were um, they were inseparable. And, and you know, in a lot of ways, the the path that Eddie went down was so much worse what Benoit did, because he got so mixed up in drugs and, and alcoholism and, you know, at one point got fired from WWE when he was more or less on top because he was become so unreliable and so addicted to substances that, um, you know, it, they made the point in the documentary. It's crazy that now, you know, he's talked about in revered, lauded terms and, and Benoit has been completely erased. because. Yeah. For the most part, to what Glenn was just saying, Benoit was a model citizen and a great employee his entire career. Yeah.
1: Except for Guerrero's was just self-destruction. He didn't take anybody else out. But he, so bad, obviously he was fired at one point, but it was so bad that he had overdosed so many times that Vicki Guerrero in one of her testimonials said that she was getting their kids ready for school and saw that it looked like he had OD'd on the couch or something. And it was just at a point where she just left and didn't even call nine one one. She was just like, "It's happened so many times." Kind of, he just needs to go.
0: Yeah, that was
1: that, that is, was a crazy that is, story. That is desperate, right there. That is, you know, at your wits' end.
0: Did you guys enjoy? Because at some point along this, I guess probably on his path to getting clean, uh, Guerrero uh, found found christianity did you find the the mental image of him completely naked in the locker room reading scripture to other wrestlers entertaining as i did i wonder what the get real pastor would think of that approach
1: huh well (laughs) he'd be thrown out of term that the (laughs) a good portion of the locker room get a get a couple of raised eyebrows
0: But, um, I mean, it was, I guess probably the next thing was, uh, Guerrero's, Guerrero's passing.
1: Yeah. I'm and 38
0: years old. Can you yeah, believe throughout that? this whole
1: thing? The, the, the primary people were getting, you know, historical feedback and testimonials from Chavo Guerrero, Dean Malenko, any other wrestlers or just those two
0: Chris Jericho. Um, Jericho, Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. But the, um, one thing that happened before that was, um, so at WrestleMania, um, I believe it was, was it 19? I'm trying to remember what WrestleMania was, but he both, they have two titles at the time because they'd done the WCW buyout. So they had the big gold belt from WCW as well as the normal wwf title and one was defended on smackdown and one was defended on raw and then at wrestlemania 20 benoit beat triple h with the crippler crossface to win the wcw title and then guerrero won the raw title later that night and that was a big thing like both of them at wrestlemania and guerrero came back out i guess Benoit's match was the last match and Guerrero came back out to celebrate in the ring as two champions with confetti to close Wrestlemania and that was kind of the crowning uh, achievement of both of them
1: and that was, was that Guerrero beating Lesnar?
0: Um, Guerrero I'm trying to remember who Guerrero beat Uh, let me double
1: check that it may have been Lesnar might have to be a Personal rewatch, considering I have almost nothing but time on my hands.
0: <laughs> Between that and the yoga pants, it's all we got. That's right. So Guerrero passes away at the age of 38. Even here in Chavo, recount that when. Guerrero, all at the same... Sorry, Guerrero beat Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle. Oh, okay, oh, that's right. He rolled him up. They showed that on the. They showed that on the. On oh yeah, because that was the documentary. One of the best versions of Eddie Guerrero, the lie, cheat, steal version of Eddie Guerrero was, was phenomenal stuff. But so it would yeah, have been thir- just the next year? Yeah, no, it was, I don't even think it was a full year after that, but when Guerrero passed.
1: Yeah, and this was heart related at age 38.
0: Well, and that's what I wanted to mention. So there's always been rumors that maybe it wasn't heart related, but be- because Chavo's the one, the only person that was able to go in and validate it. And even the fact when he's interviewing, they're like, no, 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 he had his toothbrush in his hand. That just yeah. feels like a story that's been told a whole bunch of times because they feel like, well, he's passed away now. There's no reason to sully the waters. But there's long been rumored, you know, was that really what happened? Now it makes perfect sense. He's abused his body for 38 years, it's certainly plausible. But Chavo's insistence of that, even in the telling of this, has always raised suspicion with a lot of folks. Is is that really what happened? Did he just did he just have a heart attack because he, of all the, you know, hammering of his body that's been done for so many years, or was there a relapse? And Guerrero was also a, a steroid guy, as you could tell from his yes. build and how quickly he achieved it.
1: <laughs> and. So, the day that he passes, they find him. Chavo finds him in the hotel room. He just passed out in the bathroom. Um, and he talks about how he calls Chris to let him know. Mm-hmm. And he gets him on the phone, tells him that Eddie's passed away, and then he talks about how Chris is, you know, a guy that always very even keel. Obviously, he expects him to be upset. But he says Chris just lets out, like, this whale, like, oh. screaming like something you he had never heard before in his life. And really, this seems like this was just the beginning of the downward spiral for him. Yeah,
0: and and they talked about that at several different inflection points along the way, at the funeral for Chris, at home with the family right after, or no, sorry, the funeral for Eddie, and then at home with the family right after. It's just where he would completely break down. There were... Vicky talked about going upstairs into Eddie's home gym, and Chris is just sitting on the bench, just crying uh, uncontrollably. But th- the thought was, at least from the people reporting, is maybe the- these were the first indications that there was some mental illness or mental damage involved um, with Chris. Just, just as far as how he was, how he was behaving post Eddie's death.
1: They, yeah. they said that he would even be at Eddie's house and would go up and like lay in his bed on his side of the bed. Yeah. Just cry about him being gone, which him grieving the death, that's not unusual. Uh, you know, everyone grieves differently, but yeah, laying in, laying in his bed. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty extreme.
0: Are you not going to come lay in my bed? If I, if this COVID gets me,
1: (laughs) no, that will, will definitely not happen.
0: I will say in this kind of this part of the story um, shows that not only were Eddie and Chris such good friends, but I mean, they're kind of their families had kind of intertwined to the point where like um, so Nancy Benoit, known as woman in WCW, Vicky tells the story that she was the one that came over because, a you know, basically a full week after Eddie's death she just laid in bed, you know, grieving wife. That's understandable. But Nancy Benoit basically stayed at their house, took care of their kids. And she was the one like after a week that went up and basically told Vicky, like, you know, you have a family, you got to get out of bed and get it together and start living your new life. Like you can't just destruct here in your sorrow.
1: And then by this point, um, Chris and Nancy are married, and they have there's the son that was ultimately killed is Daniel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then what's the David, name? David. David is the one that looks exactly like right. Chris Benoit.
1: Right. Yeah. So he he comes in the picture here shortly, but he was from a prior relationship and or marriage. And then Daniel was the younger one. Okay. So to make sure I had uh, that all straight.
0: So. Here, they kind of start talking about, you know, basically, they talked about, you know, Benoit's just shocking amount of grief and issues he had post Eddie Guerrero's death. But, you know, Chavo and um, Chavo Guerrero, who's the nephew of Eddie Guerrero and also a wrestler that was traveling around with him, and Chris Jericho kind of both talk about Benoit just basically being completely closed off. Like he was not hanging out with the boys anymore. He was just kind of off in his, his own world at this point. And, you know, even when they would try to reach out to him, he was very, just kind of, you know, friendly, but he wasn't the way he used to be.
1: And they gave him one idea. They gave him to just deal with all of it was to start writing a journal where he was essentially writing to Eddie. Yeah. And as it got, you know, well into this and after, you know, the how everything ends, they go back and they read some of that stuff. And towards the end, he was even writing about, hey, I'm going to be seeing you pretty soon or something along those lines, which is fairly, fairly disturbing.
0: Yes, indeed. So, I mean, I guess we can get to the, you know, different people talking about how, They found out, and I think one of the creepier stories was Chavo Guerrero, who, you know, was kind of traveling with Benoit. They were both working in the WWF, you know, they'd ride together, they'd work out together, and they were supposed to go do a show, and he was reaching out to Chris, and Chris Benoit texted him, like, I won't, I'm not going to make, I think they were driving, and he was saying, I'm not going to make it. Nancy and Daniel have a stomach flu. Um, you know, I'll see you there, whatever the next night. I guess Benoit was going to travel by himself or fly over or something. And then he gets the weird text of...
1: It was, was it the, the next
0: n- day. The next day, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
1: It, the next day of... Uh, it wasn't just him. So, and the one creepy thing is, you know, after the fact now, that when he sends that text of, hey, I'm not going to make it, uh, you know, the wife and kid have come down with a stomach issue. They're already gone. Like he's yeah. killed these people, and right. now he's sending them that. The he's next just day, just living in
0: the house with the bodies. Yes, yeah. the hang time between the
1: no pun intended. The,
0: the, yeah. Well, wow. I'm <laughs> I'm funnier than I realized.
1: <laughs> but the he he sends out the text of hey the the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. And it so was something else with the it. The door was, is open. That's right. right. So he sends that to Chavo at like five in the morning. And he sees it. And then, I th- then he gets it from Nancy's phone, too. It's exact same wording. He kind of ignores it. And then he goes downstairs like for breakfast at the hotel. And the guy he was traveling with, he's like, Yeah, did you get any weird texts? And he's like, Yeah. And he, the other guy reads it off. And it's the exact same thing. So who knows how many people he sent the same same message too. So, I mean, he's in one, he's in a state of mind that he knows everything's about to go down, but, uh, yeah, he's just in a, he's in a bad place guys.
0: Yeah. And Chavo telling, I guess it was the night before he got that text, you know, at 5. AM the night before when they, he told him about the, you know, they had the stomach flu and I'll meet you tomorrow. At the end of that call, he goes, Chavo, I love you. And Chavo was like, yeah, you too. And he's like, that was weird. <laughs> one of the so, interesting items that came through, and I believe this was this was a guy they didn't talk to a lot in the documentary, but the guy that had written the book about the murder and Chris Benoit's Google search history in between when the wife, when Nancy and, and Daniel were murdered and when he took his own life included one search of the biblical story about Elijah and raising people back from the dead. It was, that sounds typically a son. Does that sound like a guy who's all, uh, all there with his mental faculties?
1: No, not at all. I mean, and he was obviously just in the, for a basic standpoint that he did that. And then he was thinking of how can I reverse this? I've made a huge mistake, at least with the son. Apparently he was content with the (laughs) word wife was solid
0: about that other decision. And then yeah. also a Google search about the least painful way to hang yourself. And if the answer to that is don't hang yourself, <laughs> hopefully that's the first sentence.
1: So just getting to the event itself, um, He his his wife is in bed. I, I don't know if she was asleep or not, but she's in bed. He walks up to her, basically sticks his knee in her back and then wraps something around you know around her throat and strangles her in the bed
0: phone phone cord
1: phone cord Ugh. and her sister described it that he essentially because i mean obviously he's a strong dude he's huge that he essentially broke her back in the process just the sheer amount of force yeah. that was used i coincidentally i had watched something a week or two ago which is one of those like oh, yeah. autopsy shows that was digging into this case and um, noted a couple things that Chris and Nancy, he's using steroids, but they were both using, I'm trying to think if it was Vicodin, Xanax. They were both on plenty of other stuff at yeah. the time. And, you know, she may have not, she may not have been in a position to really fight back at all, but like her autopsy, there's no real signs of struggle in any way shape or form it's almost like either she was just completely incapacitated by him because of his physical stature or she was not even in a a mental state to even really know exactly what was going on yeah and so then (laughs) he makes his way up to his son's room but he's prepared for this though so this goes against later on there's the whole roid rage argument but he didn't this wasn't in just like a moment, I'm going to do yeah. this. He planned this ahead of time because he had uh, drugged his son with Xanax mm-hmm. also to lead to his son's not going to fight back at all. He's going to be pretty much out of it, and he smothers his seven-year-old kid, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and leaves a butcher knife under the bed, which I didn't really understand that part. but
0: Unless that was plan B, I don't know.
1: Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. And then you have the day lag time where he's Yeah, where
0: there. apparently he was just drinking like crazy judging by the amount of beer cans and wine bottles they find throughout the place.
1: Because that was the part he really had to drink was to kill himself, not to do the other ones.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. you don't know when
1: they were consumed, I guess. Well, that's true.
0: And then that's true. and then the part that I'm going to need one of you guys to explain to me how the mechanics of it worked out. Yeah, I was so well, go ahead, Tommy. Is that the thing where they tell you, like, when you're at the gym and there's those signs about, do not ever pull the pin unless the weight stacks all the way down? Is that what we're talking about here? The, the only Did way... That he I... pulled it up and then pinned it? N- I mean, the way I understand it is, I'm guessing, I need to, of course, all the gyms are closed. But... <laughs> you can't go do
1: research. Sorry, I can't sorry, do sorry. research. with <laughs> That machine.
0: <laughs> but he had, he got like the whole weight stack and it looked like he'd also put like dumbbells or plates on top of yeah, it. I'm assuming to to get the appropriate it, amount of counterweight that it's going to take more than just the stack. Yeah, so he, he he either he either somehow pulled the stack up, you know, a foot or two and then was able to repin it and then pulled the pin or he pulled it up and, you know, put a you know, broom handle or whatever, something underneath it to drop it but I I don't know if you can pull a stack up and then re-pin it. Maybe you can. I haven't ever thought about that.
1: (laughs) I don't know. They showed several uh, photos from the scene, which were, for the most part, just what the house looked like on the inside, the discarded beer cans and wine bottles, and then they showed that the weight stack, and it looked like it was a couple of 50s on there just based on the size of the dumbbell. So I think he had... I think it would have been like 300 and something pounds, maybe 400 between the rack and what was on top of it to counteract his own weight. It was enough to get the job done. It got the
0: job done. Mm -hmm. And then things get really weird. So it's Sunday, I believe. Mm -hmm. Raw's going off the next night. WWE gets word that he's been found dead in his home, but they don't get the whole story, which I'm surprised because I feel like Even if you're not an accomplished investigator, if you walk in and you see two bodies posed with Bibles and then one guy hanging by his neck, you can pretty clearly determine what happened. But WWE goes to do the full Chris Benoit tribute episode before they have all the information. So they've got all of these wrestlers on screen giving testimonials about what a great guy he was, what a family man he was. And everybody's going along with it except for one person. The current general manager of NXT. Well, I guess the on-screen general manager of NXT, Steven Regal. And Regal lived in that same town, which I got the feeling it was kind of a smaller town in North Carolina? Atlanta. Suburb of Atlanta. And (sighs) I guess just from proximity to them, he had been uh, aware of some of their domestic issues, because we didn't really touch on that, but leading into this, it wasn't exactly the uh, happiest marriage.
1: No, and it's all triggered, basically the timeline is when Eddie Guerrero died, Yeah. from then until, I guess it was mid-2007, that's the... (laughs) I mean, everything was spiraling down. And then they didn't go into a lot of the detail, but they even showed some of the text messages back and forth between the two, like just days before that occurred. And, you know, trying to recall what the specific issues were, whether it was financial or just their marriage in general, but they were they were not in a good place communication-wise. And she she had wanted him
0: to essentially stop wrestling for at least a year. Leading up to this because she, you know, essentially and probably correctly so realized that it wasn't doing him any good. Either the trauma from actually wrestling or just, you know, that lifestyle of traveling and being alone and not having Eddie and none of that was was working well for him. So they and to what Tommy was saying, I found weird is because the WWE was the one that called the welfare check because he missed the show the night before, so they call the police to go do a welfare check, and it does seem really weird that they didn't get more, you know, because there was twelve eighteen hours between that yeah. and them doing the tribute show.
1: No, it's it's total. I mean, they can some extent they can say, hey, we didn't know, but it seems pretty common sense to be like. Acknowledge his that his, the passing of his family and himself is tragic, and we're thinking of the family, blah blah blah. But yeah, before going into the hour long, let's talk about how great Chris Benoit is or was. I think you can, you could hold off on that for sure. Yeah,
0: and this was when uh, Jericho tells the story about him getting the news, and you know he was obviously very broken up. And he kind of recounts the same thing. Like they called a meeting before, I guess the tribute show and Vince told everyone. And, you know, at that time, uh, Chavo Guerrero and Vicky Guerrero were both in the company, which Vicky Guerrero became a part of the show after Eddie's death, which is, yeah, a that's another, ra- another rabbit trail you want to go down. She becomes the general manager of raw and has a, a on screen, yeah, an on-screen love affair with Edge.
1: <laughs>
0: very, very weird looking at all wow. this.
1: But he, he in can beat, and and he can and has done better. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But
0: you know, they said in that that meeting, you know, Vince told essentially all the talent like Chris is dead, and so is Nancy, and so is Daniel. And it seems weird because Jericho mentions either Jericho or Chava. One of them's like, well, you know, so what happened? Like, how are all three of them dead? Was it like a home intruder? Or is it carbon monoxide? Like, how are, and, you know, no one, no one knew or no one gathered that information.
1: So they call the welfare check and the sheriff's office is going to go check out the house. And I guess it's a neighbor that they get in touch with who feeds the dogs and checks on stuff while the family is out of town. And I, I can't, I can't remember if it was just that she had a key to the house. She's able to get in. It, I thought it was kind of weird that they had her go in before either of the cops did. Cause based on the story is. Well,
0: it sounded like the cops were real worried about the dogs. So she's okay. like, I can take care of that. And then when they get inside, she realizes it's bad because of the smell and that I think that's when
1: things... Well, but she went to rat- the... Ratchet to, up. to the ex- To the extent of wherever the son's room is, like, she walks in, she doesn't immediately just walk out and say, something's definitely wrong, oh my God. Like, she... Because she, when she's running out, she's running out talking about how Daniel is dead. So she, whether that was upstairs or whatever, like, she had gone to his room and found him. And that poor woman... Has to yeah. be the person. I mean,
0: Can you imagine, yeah, I guess. yeah, having
1: to live with that. So they yeah. they they make the discoveries and they get into you know they find the wife and the and then the kid and then obviously there's one that's missing and they they haven't laid eyes on him. They don't know what his status is. So guns are drawn and they talk about how the deputy walks into the his personal gym and it's got like mirrors everywhere. So it, I don't know how they described it. Like she couldn't see him. She could just see like ref- a, f- a reflection of him on the machine. And she's got like gun drawn, get your hands up. And the other guy is kind of like, Hey, uh I got a little better view over here. Uh, <laughs> those hands are coming up. <laughs> In- indeed.
0: indeed. I thought it was weird too. When they, you know, the deputy said, well, yeah, I knew who he was because I would see him at the gym. And then when they were t- also talking about that, he had become increasingly paranoid. They said, well, when he would go to the gym every day, he would take a different route in his car. But then he also has a gym at his house. So how much was, was this guy working out? And should I be working out that way? <laughs> I'll tell you this. Having a real gym and a home gym would be real handy about now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm very jealous of your curl bar and plates that you drove to Waco to get last week.
0: Hey, you got to, man. Man. Um, So, I mean, I think that kind of covers the event itself.
1: My my, my question from here for you guys, because it's mentioned after this all plays out, the WWE takes a bad rap from glorifying him in the beginning. To not having a proper wellness program when it comes to drugs and steroids, that Benoit was passing the test all the way up to '07. It's mentioned. I wonder what
0: by, Robert Roode would say about that, or Andrade? <laughs> it's
1: it's it's uh, and Samoa Joe too. Um, it's mentioned that this event almost brought down professional wrestling, or at least the WWE itself. Would you agree with that statement or is that kind of uh, a little bit of hyperbole? I would
0: say hyperbole. it, It shined a very negative light on wrestling, but I don't think in any, any way, shape or form did it almost bring down the WWE. No, I think, I mean, you know, if you look at the history of wrestling, it's always cyclical and you know, you had, you know, high points, right? You had, hogan's run and then this is kind of you're coming off of the you know stone cold rock where wrestling was just uber hot and at this point i mean they had a ton of talent right like guerrero benoit kurt angle you know they had great guys but it just wasn't there wasn't any kind of mainstream star that everyone knew so it was kind of at a low point to begin with. And then, you know, they talk about how mainstream media at the time was always kind of, if there was something negative to report on wrestling and what could be more negative than painting the light of, Hey, they're looking the other way on this steroid abuse that made this guy snap and kill a kid. You know, it doesn't get more negative than that when that's, you know, leading the news every night. So It definitely hurt, but it didn't, like, I don't think there was a time during this where you're like, yeah, the WWE is just going to go away. Like, I never thought that.
1: Right. So we find out in the end, not that steroids were zero factor here, but um, the prevailing theory is the condition of his brain and the condition of CTE was a primary cause of his uh, mental downfall and him snapping at the end. Yeah, and that guy Christopher Nowinski, who they interview
0: about the CTE, I loved his run in WWE too. By the way, somebody else you should go back and look. He had a great gimmick because he had actually gone to Harvard. Uh, he was—he's a very smart guy, and then got in WWE. His name when he wrestled was the very well thought-out name of Chris Harvard, <laughs> 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 who also went to Harvard.
1: It was pretty brief, right? Wasn't it just like a couple years? Yeah, I
0: mean, he he basically had the run of got in there, got a bunch of concussions, realized something was off, and got out. But uh, some of his promos early on about how much smarter he is than everybody else, of course he's a heel because no wrestling fan is going to cheer somebody that went to Harvard.
1: Right, obviously.
0: Great run, though. A funny aside, I I mean, thinking about all the characters, I say characters, all the, the different individuals they interviewed for this, I mean, I'm on board big time with David Benoit. Very sympathetic. Thought he was very genuine in his interview. I felt felt genuine Mm -hmm. empathy for the kid. Thought Jericho was great, straight shooting. Chavo was great. Vicky, okay. The only person I just could not stand was Nancy Benoit's sister. Seemed like she was just constantly complaining, whining, or trying to stir up trouble. Yeah, I know. Crazy throughout the whole the whole documentary. I will say this and you know obviously there's no way to prove any of this but the stories you read always talk about how Vince is very good about taking care of you know wrestlers like there's numerous stories of him talking about people that weren't even under contract anymore and he you know pays for them to go to rehab and You know, he takes care of families. um, And she comes out and basically says, you know, Vince, like, no one ever cared for her and tries to make this whole anti-WWE statement. And my kind of thought there was kind of two things. One, JR went to the funeral of Nancy, and she basically threw him out of it, which, I mean... Obviously, everyone deals with grief, but, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to come out and basically tell the WWE, like, we, we don't want anything to do with you, you're horrible, and then turn around and get mad when they don't contact you. You know what I'm saying? And and I think it's also a little presumptuous, too, because you're talking now about a the sister. sister of the wife of a performer, and that seems a, maybe slightly out of the scope of what you would expect. I mean, I yeah. feel like if it was the wife the children at home, that's a different story. If you're the sister of the wife of the guy, maybe you need to get your expectations a little more in line with what what reality would be like. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Unless she had been, like if the son had survived and that became the son's guardian, then maybe there's more of a, direct connection for support there, but yeah, I tend to agree.
0: Well, I mean, and they say Vince took really good care of Brian Pillman's wife and son, and and maybe even still does, you know, there's some debate about that, but even now still supports the wife. So I, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment on that, not based on her, her recollection of, of the events. Yeah. It also, you know, kind of talking about all the characters and Malenko and Chavo, very, And they were great in it, but they very clearly come out of essentially not having sympathy or anything good to say about Chris Benoit now. I believe at one point, you know, Malenko talks about it's unforgivable what he did. Uh, I think Jericho kind of. And I felt like he was going to get into it more at one point because he kind of does the. listen you know we're just talking about the man prior to this and kind of you know acts like he's going to go into more of a tribute which he kind of stopped short of but the son the still living son david i thought he was real interesting as he's like you know that's not my dad like you know i knew this guy for however long it was you know 16 17 years And I'm not going to remember whatever went wrong in his brain those last three days. I'm going to remember how he was for my whole life up until that point. And I thought that was sad, but also interesting, like, because, you know, the WWE is, like we said, taking the route of he's erased from history, which I guess you have to do. But it is kind of like, can you separate all the good years from whatever went wrong due to CTE in those last few days?
1: Right. Yeah, because the son, his oldest son basically said, I never knew, I never saw that that side. You know, up to the last time I ever saw him, he was just, he was dad, and he was a great dad. And then all this thing hits him out of nowhere. So I can see where he's where he's coming from. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably their, in their best interest not to put him in the Hall of Fame, you know, and not to have him in... Uh, the record books where they don't need to, obviously from stuff that we've done on here, we've reviewed WrestleManias that he's a part of, so they haven't erased him completely. But they're certainly not glorifying him.
0: That that tribute show is not there.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, well Can't I mean that, that makes one. sense.
0: No, but I agree. They have left essentially everything else involving him on there, but you know, modern day, he's not in any highlight packages or anything like that. Well, gentlemen it's about time for me to go back and start fighting the fight against COVID-19. Would we say that uh, our episode next week will be WrestleMania preview focused?
1: I think to say the least, that's that's what it's going to be.
0: And our audience has no choice but to listen because there's not anything else to do.
1: What? There's nothing to do. There's nothing to watch. How this show is too big for one night. How are you not? Getting the WWE Network just for the weekend, next weekend, and taking this in, you have nothing else to do.
0: It's true. Well, uh, gentlemen, until uh, next time, the dogs are in the enclosure pool area. The back door is open. Out
1: of reading people's faces, and knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes. So if you don't mind my saying, i can see you're out of aces for a taste of your whiskey i'll give you some advice so i handed him my bottle and he drank down my last swallow then he bombed a cigarette and asked me for a light